Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. I want to welcome everybody. If you're if you're visiting with us for the first time on Wednesday night, uh, we are. This is our Bible study night, and we are going through the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's chapter five, six, and seven. And uh, tonight we are in Matthew chapter six, verses nine through thirteen. This is a continuation of a lesson that started last week. When you pray, and uh, this is part two now. Just a very, very, very quick review. You remember in Matthew 6, 1, Jesus said this, that you need to beware. You need to be on guard. Uh, Because as Christians, you are naturally going to do good works. Think about somebody comes into church and they get saved and they get born again and and they're a new creation, and now they want to start doing things. So maybe, uh, maybe they start serving uh, on, on the Wednesday night supper, helping out over there. Maybe they start teaching a class uh, for, for kids. Maybe they serve as an usher. They, they start giving their tithes and their offerings. They, they, they start doing different things. And Jesus said, when that happens, you need to be ready. Beware of doing those things in front of people so that they can see you. The danger is that hypocrisy will creep in. And then he goes on, and, he, and he, after he covers giving, he begins to talk about prayer. And he says, don't pray like the hypocrites do. They do it out in public so people can see them. He said, don't let your prayer life be a prayer life that's done in secret. Not that there's anything wrong with praying in public, but think about it. They prayed in public and very rarely in secret. We should pray all the time in secret and very rarely in public. And then he says, don't pray like uh, the pagans. They use a lot of words. They do it multiple times a day. And they think because of all that, that they're going to be heard. And he says the most incredible thing, but your heavenly father knows what you need before you even ask him. Now, I said last week that prayer is the highest activity that a human being can perform. And I, I want to just repeat that. I don't know if you understand that. The greatest there's nothing greater than a human being can do than to commune with God. Nothing. And I don't care what you do for anybody else or anything. When a human being bows their head or bows their knee and talks to God, there's not a greater picture of us than at that moment. And the benefits of prayer in our spiritual life are just incredible. Okay? Yet here's the thing. There's not a single person here that is born into this world knowing how to pray. It's just not something that comes natural to us. Other things do. Like, for example, let's take the three religious pillars of the Jewish community, giving, praying, and fasting. There's a lot of people that are just born generous. They're just naturally generous people. They're givers. I know some of them. They're not even Christians, but they're just natural givers. Other people are are just naturally disciplined. Uh, you talk about fasting. There are people out there that fast, not for Christian reasons, but just for health reasons. I was watching a video the other day, a guy by the name of David Wood. Uh, he was in prison with a Christian. The, the guy became a Christian after he was in prison. They were in prison together. And the Christian 
started fasting. And David Wood was an atheist, and whatever the Christian would do, he would do, wanted to do better. So if the Christian would fast 47 days, he'd fast eight. If the Christian went on a 14-day fast, this guy would go on a 15-day. Finally, uh, this Christian decided he wanted to fast 40 days. David Wood said, I did 41. See, some people are just born disciplined like that naturally, but nobody, and I mean nobody, comes into this world knowing how to really pray. Now, we call ourselves praying. We all know that when we're desperate, we're in a foxhole, so to speak. We know how to call out. But our prayers are always self-centered. God, help me. God, do this. God, do that. But it turns out that is not how we're supposed to approach God. You see, when it comes to prayer, we all need to learn how to do it. Now, I think we all think we know how to do it. We all think we know how to do it. But the fact is, none of us really know how to do it. We need guidance. And this has always been true. In Luke chapter 11 Verse 1, it says this, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So here's John the Baptist teaching his disciples how to pray, and then here's the disciples of Jesus asking him, Lord, teach us how to pray. So the very fact they're walking with Jesus, and can you imagine, by the way, walking with Jesus, and he, and he goes off and he's praying and he's talking to his father, And these guys are watching that thinking, man, I wish I could pray like that. He goes off and he prays all night long, it says, one time. And and they're watching this and they're thinking, Lord, teach us to pray like you pray. Teach us to talk to your Father the way that you talk to Him. Now, what I want you to realize tonight is the significance of what we're going to study. The disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, okay, when you pray... Pray like this. This is how you are to pray. Now, you may say, well, it doesn't really matter how we pray. It doesn't really matter. You just pray from the heart. Well, if that was true, Jesus would have said, it doesn't really matter how you pray. Just pray from your heart. But he didn't say that. He said, when you pray, pray like this. We need, these are the words of Jesus himself teaching us how to pray. So no matter what you think about prayer, No matter how much you think you know how to pray, how much I think I know how to pray, we need to set that aside and we need to listen to Jesus because he's going to say, this is how you pray. Let's listen to his words, verses 9 through 13. You've heard them since you were a child. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. See, I can't even, I, I, I can't even read it without quoting King James because that's how I, I learned it. It's more in my mind than it is even on the page. Are you, are you with me? We all know that. Now, here's a question that I'm going to ask. Is this a prayer that is to be repeated verbatim? In other words, is Jesus saying, when you pray, I want you to say these exact words. Don't don't add anything. Don't change anything. I want you to repeat this prayer exactly like this. There's an early Christian writing called the Didash. I think that's how you pronounce it. Some people say it was written as early as 96 AD, uh, but it was certainly written pre-200. 
and it provides recommendations on how people should have church. So it has recommendations on baptism, how to baptize people. It has recommendations on fasting, and it has recommendations on prayer. For example, fasting, it says this, your fasting should not be like the hypocrites. They fast on Monday and Thursday. You should fast on Wednesday and Friday. Now, I have no idea why they came up with that. How that makes a difference, I don't know. But they say this about prayer. You should not pray like the hypocrites, but as the Lord commanded in his gospel, and they actually repeated, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. On and on and on. And at the end it says this, Say this prayer three times a day. I actually saw a YouTube video the other day scrolling through. And a man, that was the title of the video, Pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. Is that what Jesus is saying? That we are to repeat the Lord's Prayer and somehow or another if we do it three times a day or 12 times a day or 17 times a day, that's going to be better for us. Now here's the thing. That early writing may have recommended that, but have you ever noticed that in the book of Acts there is absolutely no mention of the Lord's Prayer? You go to the book of Acts and in the book of Acts... You know, there's the early church and they're meeting to pray and they're doing all this stuff and it never once, not once, mentions the Lord's Prayer. Go read any of Paul's letters. Go read James's letters. Go read Peter's letters. Go read any of those letters and you will not find one time, not once, does it ever mention the Lord's Prayer. Now, I don't know how what tradition you came out of, Episcopalian or Presbyterian or Catholic or Baptist or whatever you came out of, but this prayer is still prayed all over the place today, verbatim, pretty much on every football field and baseball field and basketball gym. I mean, everybody prays this prayer verbatim. Is that what Jesus meant? Because that's what matters, right? It's not what the church is doing. It's not what people are doing. What did Jesus intend? Well, let me say this. There does not seem to be any evidence scripturally for thinking that Jesus meant this prayer to be repeated the way it is today. There's no scriptural evidence that you should pray it three times a day and you should say those exact words anywhere like that. In fact, let's read it in different translations. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 9. He said, pray then like this. He didn't say, pray this, did he? He said, pray like this. The New King James Version says, in this manner, or in this way, says the NASB, pray in this manner or pray in this way. In other words, what Jesus is saying, he's not saying, pray it verbatim. He's saying, this is a pattern. This is a a framework of how you should pray. This is a, a skeleton, if you will, of how we should pray. Let me give you an example. Uh, my son is a builder. I know Scooter's a builder. We've got several builders in this church. If I went to a builder and I said, how do you build a house? They may say to me, well, when you build a house, this is what you do. Well, the first thing you want to do is you want to get your foundation, right? And, and then you want to do your, your framing. You want to put up your walls and get your roof on. And then you want to dry it in. You want to get your windows and your doors and that kind of thing. And then you'll go in and do your rough-in, your plumbing and your electrical and and all of that. And then you can start putting up sheet. Are you with me? See, that's a pattern. Everybody knows there's all kinds of different houses. 
You can do a concrete foundation. You can do an off-grade foundation. You can do uh, 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 two-by-four walls, two-by-six walls. You can do concrete block walls. It can be one story. It can be two story. It can be A-frame. I mean, there's all kind of houses, but the basic pattern for building a house, foundation, framing, dry-in, it's, it's the same for all. That's what Jesus is saying. When you pray, here's the pattern that you should follow. Here's how you should pray. Not this exact way, but use this prayer as a pattern for how you pray. Now, it is an amazing pattern. It is, it is short. Like I said, I, my guess is pretty much everybody in here can quote it. Uh, but it covers all the principles of prayer. It is absolutely perfect. And we're going to dig into it. We won't finish it tonight. Um, we'll have to certainly go into into next week. Now, I want you to notice something, and, and, if, and if, if you have to, if something happens and I fall out in the next 10 minutes, I want to give you something right now that you can take home with you. This pattern is broken into two parts. The first part is all about God. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The second part of it is about us. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. Now, if you don't get anything else out of it, that, that right there should tell you something about prayer. That gives us right there the very, some, some real insight into the purpose of prayer. You see, for most of us, naturally when we pray, the, the natural way for us to pray is to fall down and say, God, give me, I need... I won't. That's just our natural way to pray. But what Jesus is saying is when you come to prayer and you pray, first and foremost, it's about His glory and His will. That's a hard thing to learn because it, it's as natural as breathing to me to, to ask God, I need. I need. Jesus said when you pray, the first thing you focus on is Him. I see most of us tonight would sit here and would say, well, that, that's really worship. When I, hallowed be your name, that's, when you're focusing on him, that's worship. Prayer is when I need, no. That's where we got it all wrong. We think it's all about us, but prayer is just talking with God, communing with God, and part of that is recognizing who he is, recognizing that he has a plan and a purpose and a will that's much higher than mine. And Jesus said, when you pray, this is how you do it. How many of us are following the pattern? How many of us are coming into, our, 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 coming into prayer and putting Him first and not ourselves first? You see, if you're going to pray the way Jesus said, see, true prayer conforms our will to Him. It puts Him first, His plan, His purposes. We come to God and we say, God, I understand you've got a will and a plan that's far beyond anything I can even imagine. You know me and what's coming down the road and, and what's best and good for my life far better than I do. See, the whole point of this is you come to God and you realize there's a higher view, a higher perspective of things than just my little viewpoint. And, God's, and Jesus said, when you pray, this is how you pray. You see, it's only after you do that that then you can come and say, God, this is what I need. And by the time you get to that, by the way, Everything kind of changes. 
you realize, you know, these things I think I need so bad may not be as big of a deal in his plan. It just changes your perspective. So let me, before I go any further, let me answer this question. It is not meant to be repeated verbatim. People all over the world do it. So is it wrong to recite it verbatim? Is it wrong to say, let's pray the Lord's Prayer? I did a funeral several weeks back, and the family asked that we, everybody in the room, recite the Lord's Prayer. Is that wrong to do that? Well, let me answer that question with a question. Here's the question. Are you praying it from your heart, or are you just mouthing the words? That's the question. Are you praying it from your heart, or are you just mouthing the words? You see, if I'm really praying it from my heart, my Father, who's in heaven, hallowed be your name, then I got no problem with that at all. It's not, a, it's not magic. It's not some kind of secret prayer or anything like that. But if you're praying it from your heart, I got no problem with that whatsoever. But let me tell you, we need to be very, very careful. Because Jesus in Matthew 6, 7 has already warned us about meaningless repetition. Look at this verse. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases, meaningless words, things coming out of your mouth that you're just saying, but you're not even, you don't even know what you're saying anymore. You're just repeating phrases. You're just heaping up empty words. He said, be very careful of doing that. That's what the pagans do. That's what the heathens do. And they think they're going to be heard. But basically what he's saying is, I don't hear prayers like that. I don't hear prayers like that. They just come out of your mouth and fall to the ground. It's just it's meaningless. They're empty. We have to be very careful when we're doing that. You see, if we're just reciting words, the focus is on the prayer, not the one we're praying to. So again, pray from your heart. I got no problem with it. But if you're just, if you're just mouthing empty words, then I certainly do. I think the problem with us is our familiarity with the Lord's Prayer. You know, the old term, familiarity breeds contempt, right? Um, we all know it. We probably learned it as a child. We can, all, we can certainly all quote it. The danger is we'll find ourselves saying it and not praying it. Let me say that again. With the Lord's Prayer, the danger is you'll find yourself saying it and not praying it. So you need to be very careful. You see, Jesus is teaching us this prayer. He's saying this is how you pray. Not that we can go out in the world and just mechanically repeat it over and over and over again for the rest of our lives. That's not why he's doing it. He's teaching us this prayer to remind us that when we come to God, there is a certain things, a certain way we need to do it. There are certain things that we must always bear in mind if we want our prayers to be heard. If we want to have a conversation with the living God, he said, this is how you do it. A few weeks ago, I was out in Denver. And uh, every time I go out west and I see the Rocky Mountains, I just like, you know, I'm just in awe of the Rocky Mountains. And I'm just, you know, I was out at this place and the mountains were right there. And I was just commenting to a couple guys, man, they, these, these mountains are just awesome. And they were like, oh, yeah, you know, because they live there. They see it every day. They don't think anything about it. I think that's our problem with the Lord's Prayer. We know it so well that we don't even hear it anymore. 
So what I want to do tonight and next week is I want us to see the Lord's Prayer anew. I want us to realize what it's there for. I want to see it with brand new eyes. And I want it to make a difference in my prayer life, and I want it to make a difference in yours. And here's where it starts. Two of the most incredible words that can ever come out of the mouth of a human being. And that is our Father. Jesus, right at the very beginning, said, when you pray, remember... (laughs) I keep coming back to this. It's so easy to read this and say, well, let's just go home and this is Jesus, the Son of God. And he's saying, this is how you talk to God. This is how you talk to God. How can we just walk away from that and think, well, he didn't really mean that or he's not real particular about that. Oh, yeah, he is. He says, when you pray, this is how you talk to a living God. You say, our Father in heaven. Now listen, the fatherhood of God is the foundation of Christian prayer. And that's all we're going to talk about tonight. We won't get any further than those those four words. Our Father in heaven. Christian, uh, the fatherhood of God is the found. You're going to build a house, you've got to have a foundation. You're going to pray, you start right here, that God is your Father. Now, even as I say that, I just said... Think about what I just said. I said, God is your father. God is your father. And nobody even blinks at me. Nobody said, go call the, the, you know, the psycho police people and let them come get him because he's up there saying God. Nobody, it, nobody even blinks because you've heard it so much. You've heard it so much. But you've got to understand, when those words came out of his mouth, it was absolutely shocking. You see, if, if we're going to understand the Lord's Prayer, we've got to go back to that day. We've got to go back to the side of that mountain to the, to, because he was a Jew and he was talking to Jews. And we've got to understand what they heard when he said what he said. If you go back to the Old Testament and you do a search on the word Father, you're going to get a ton of hits because there's th- this one fathered, this one fathered, this one, all of that. But if you really narrow it down, God is called Father only 14 times in the entire Old Testament. Only 14 times. And it's always in in reference to the state of Israel or to the nation of Israel. In other words, He is the Father of the nation of Israel. You will never, not one time in the Old Testament, ever hear a man or a woman refer to God as their Father in a personal way. Never. It just won't happen. You might see something like this, Isaiah 64, 8, speaking as a prophet for the nation of Israel said, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. He's talking about the nation of Israel. He's talking about the Jews. You'll see that, but you will never, ever hear a Jewish man or woman refer to God as father in in a personal way. In fact, to do so was considered blasphemy. To do so was considered uh, blasphemy in such that they would stone you and they would kill you for doing that. You see this in John five seventeen through 18. Jesus is talking to the Jews and he says this, My father is working until now and I am working. 
This is why the Jews, John said, were seeking all the more to kill him because he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This was a big deal with the Jews. They had no problem saying God is the father of the nation, but you never, ever, as a human being, would say that God is my father. That was a death sentence. That's why they wanted the reasons that they wanted to kill him because he was calling God his father. In fact, if you go to the Gospels, he calls God Father 60 times. In fact, even more surprising, Jesus never calls God anything else. He never calls him Lord. He never calls him Adonai. He never calls him El Shaddai. He never calls him Jehovah. He never calls him Yahweh. Over and over again, he calls him Father with one exception. There's only one exception in all the Gospels. And that's Matthew 27, 47, 6, when he hung on the cross and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And by the way, he's quoting Psalm 22, 1 to fulfill prophecy. That's the only time that he calls God anything other than Father. And they wanted to kill him for it. But here he goes even further. He's not just calling God his Father. He's telling his disciples, Hey, come in here, guys. He's your father too. You can call him father. Now they're Jews. They're thinking, oh man, this is crazy. How can this be? But it's not just him. He's telling his followers. He's telling his disciples, you can call him father. What he's saying is you're his sons. You're his daughters. You are in the family of God. See, we, we take it for granted. We don't think anything about it. But it was an absolutely radical departure from Judaism. It was a radical departure. They had never heard anything like that. that we, again, we, we've heard it so much we don't even blink our eyes. They had never heard anybody talk like this. I want you to listen to this quote from J.I. Packer. He said this, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God of his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and his prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new, everything that makes the New Testament better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. I love that. Father is the Christian's name for God. That's what we call him. Now, why is this so important? Why do you think, I mean, think about it. Lord, teach us to pray. Okay, when you pray, this is, this is how you pray, our Father. Why is that so important? Why do you think it's so important that when we come into his presence to commune with him, that we always start off, not necessarily with those words, but why do we start off with that attitude? Why do we start off with that thought in our mind, at the very least, that he is our father. Well, because it's a beautiful thing. Because his fatherhood should remind us at the very beginning of so many things. For example, it reminds us of his love. See, he's not a pagan god. You go back and you read some of the Greek mythology, mythology and you had these pagan gods and they, they didn't like humans, and they're always fighting against humans and fighting with each other, and they're petty, and they're antagonistic and all this. God died for us. 
He's praying for us. He's coming back for us. He loves us. Nothing can separate us from his love. It reminds us of our access to him. Yes, the book of Hebrews says, Come boldly before the throne of grace to receive mercy and help in time of need. It reminds us of our security. Jesus said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Lo, I'll be with you until the ends of the earth. Jesus said, all that the Father has given me, I will raise them up at the last day. It reminds us of our, our resources. God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. It reminds us of our worth. Jesus said, you see the birds? You see the flowers? If God takes, your Father takes care of them, how much more? How much more is He going to take care of you? It reminds us as a father of our need to obey. It reminds us of His discipline. Scripture tells us that just like a father disciplines a child, God disciplines those that He loves. And by the way, it also reminds us of our family responsibilities. I'm not talking about my physical family. Did you notice the first two words out of, out of your mouth is not my father? Our father. The first thing I come, is I realize, oh, I'm part of a family. It's not just about me. It's our father. I've got brothers and sisters in this family that I need to help bear their burdens that I need to encourage, that I need to pray for. Our Father, not just my Father. I've got responsibilities in this family. And then Jesus said this, Our Father, and he adds two words, in heaven. Now what does that mean? Why would he add that on there? Well, that phrase reminds us of the sovereignty and the power of God. One of my favorite scriptures, Psalms 115.3, this is the way I quote it, God is in the heavens, he does whatever he wants. God is in heaven, he does whatever he wants. Nobody can stop him. God is an all-powerful God. Now here's the thing. When we come to him, we say, our Father. See, that reminds us of his nearness. That reminds us of the intimacy that we have with him. But in heaven reminds us of his transcendency. It reminds us that he's far, far above us. That there's nothing like him in this world or in this universe. See, folks, we always have to keep those in tandem. Always have to keep the intimacy and the reverence. They go together. We, we, we have to keep that and understand that. You see, that's what the Jews missed. The, the Jews focused on God's sovereignty and God's transcendence, and they lost his intimacy. They lost the nearness. The problem we've got in the church today is we've gone the other way. We've gone completely the other way. God's my buddy. God's my buddy, right? He's my friend. We've lost our reverence for him as the God of the universe. We can't do that. We, both of those have to. Yes, he's my heavenly father. But he also says, is as Hebrew says, a consuming fire. A consuming fire fire you always have to remember those and keep those two in balance now before i move on and close this out i need to say something so for for me 
I'm, a, I'm, I'm very fortunate. The word father for me has excellent connotations. I was raised by a very, very good father. I was raised my father and hanging out with my father and fishing with my father and doing things with my father and talking to my father. At the same time, I was scared to death of him. I reverenced him. I didn't want to disappoint him. I didn't want to disappoint Are you with me? There's a balance. There's an intimacy and there's a reverence. And those two seem perfectly in balance and right to me. And so when, when, I, when somebody says, well, you need to remember that God is near, but yet God is transcendent, that God is intimate, yet God is to be revered. I get it. That's easy for me to understand because I grew up like that, but not everybody did. Some of you grew up with fathers that weren't like that. Some of you grew up with fathers that weren't near at all. Maybe they were a disciplinarian. You were scared to death of them, but you, you don't even understand what it meant to have a close relationship with your father. Maybe your father was distant. Maybe you didn't even know your father, and he, he certainly was never there for you. We all, he's let, some of us had fathers that, that let you down. And it doesn't fit what you think. And when you think father, it's not a good thought. What I want to say to you today is you just need to be aware of that. Don't let your physical view of your father color your heavenly father. Be aware of that. You're not that old person anymore. You're a new creation in Christ. You have a heavenly father that loves you and, is, and knows all about you and is there for you and is supporting you and, and wants to talk to you. Don't let your earthly father. I hope everybody had great fathers. I got no idea. But what I'm, I'm, my point being is don't let your earthly father co necessarily color your view of your heavenly father if that relationship. Just be aware of that as you move forward. I close with this. Ever since we've opened the Sermon on the Mount, I've said this over and over again that he's talking to us. The Sermon on the Mount is talking about Christians. Okay, if you've been here the whole time, you've heard me say it probably 50 times. He's talking to Christians. Well, let me tell you, he's teaching us to pray. You see, this, this prayer that he's pre, uh, teaching us here, it's not for pagans. It's not for unbelievers. It's for born-again believers in Jesus Christ because it is only Christians that can call God Father. Okay? We talked about this a, a couple times already. I want to repeat, say it one more time. John 1, 12 through 13. It is only those who receive Christ. It is only those who believe in Christ as their Savior who have the right to become children of God. Only them. In John 8, 42 to 44, Jesus said to them, talking to the Jews, He said this, If God were your Father you would love me. I think, what he, what's the opposite of that? If you don't love me, God is not your father. Listen, you can be a Muslim. If you don't believe in Jesus, God ain't your father. You can be a Catholic, but if you don't love Jesus, God ain't your father. And you can be a member of River of Life. You can be sitting in a seat tonight, and if you don't love Jesus, God is not your father it's only born again believers in jesus christ loving jesus obeying jesus we 
and we alone have the right to call him Father. Jesus said, if God were your Father, you'd love me, for I came from God, and I'm here. I didn't come on my own. He sent me. And he says this, instead, you are of your Father, the devil. Now, folks, listen to me. You're born into this, you're not born into this world as a child of God. You may see that on church signs, but it ain't right. You are born into this world a child of wrath. You are born into this world a child of the devil, not a child of God. Now, let me tell you, that may not be popular, but it's biblical. It may not be popular, but that's exactly what Scripture says teaches only born-again believers in Jesus Christ have the right to call God Father. So when he, Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father. He's saying, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to believers. This is how believers pray. This isn't a, this isn't a prayer for everybody. This is how we pray. Now, in order to become a child of God, you have to be born again. What does that mean? It becomes a new creation that comes into being by the Spirit of God. Listen to John 3, 7, 8. This is a conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. He told Nicodemus, he said, Don't marvel that I said to you, you've got to be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. I love that. I just love that. Man, God can come in here right now tonight, and there's somebody sitting here thinking, When is he going to shut up? And the Holy Spirit can come out of nowhere and bam. Next thing you know, you're born again down here crying at the altar and you don't know what happened. That's exactly what he said. The wind comes. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. You don't know how long it's going to stay. It's exactly what the Spirit does. He comes when he wants to. And, and when he comes, he changes hearts and lives and minds. You are born again of the Spirit of God. But listen, what that means, as Paul says in Romans 8, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are now children of God. In other words, we're, the Spirit comes in, he, he creates us anew, we're born again, bears witness with our spirit that now we have the ability, the right, to call God our Father. Now listen. Everything I've just said, I've repeated over and over and over again. Every one of you have heard it. And you might sit there and say, yeah, we all know that. Yeah, but do you know it? <laughs> do you know it down deep inside? God is your Father. You're not talking about to some far-off deity. You're not talking to some supreme being that, that, oh, maybe if I just do it, if I pray hard enough, and I, and I just do it, you know, fervently enough. And I, and I get down on my knees and I wear sackcloth and ashes and I fast. And I do all these things. Maybe he'll do what I want to do. He's your father. D do you know that? Do you really feel that to the core of your being? See, the world doesn't like that doctrine. They don't want to hear that. They'd say, no, no, we're all children of God. And they may call him father, but it ain't personal. And let me tell you, when they pray, it's not personal. They may call him whatever they want to call him, but when they pray, they're praying to somebody they don't know. And they have no confidence that what they're asking is ever going to be done. But that's not us. That should not be us. 
We are talking to our Father, and that should change everything about prayer. Everything about prayer. So I ask you tonight, is God your Father? Do you really know Him that way? When, when you pray, who are you praying to? Have you got some picture of, of, of God? I mean, I don't know what's going on in your mind, but my, the, when Jesus said when you pray, you need to come to him as a son or a daughter to a father. I know when I sit down with my dad, the conversation is completely different than when I sit down with a stranger. Completely different than when I sit down. Who are you talking to? Do you really, really grasp that the God of the universe has adopted you as his child? Do you really feel that to the deepest part? Let me tell you, folks, this is always where prayer starts. This is where true prayer starts. The foundation of prayer is an acknowledgement that I'm about to enter a conversation with my dad. I'm about to enter a conversation with my father. Now, next week, we'll come back and we'll begin to, to go through this point by point and, uh, and we'll talk about all of it. But uh, tonight, take that home. The next time you pray, which I hopefully will be tonight sometime, you will realize, Father, Father, thank you for the honor and the privilege of coming into your presence. Thank you that you are the God of the universe, but you called me son. You know my name. Start your prayer there. Start there, and I guarantee you, it'll change everything. Let's pray. Lord, you are our Father. And so we do exactly what Jesus says. We honor you. We glorify you for all you're doing in our life, for all you're doing in this world. Even though we can't see it, we know, Lord, that you're working. You never, ever, ever stop working. So we praise you. God, we ask that your will be done at River of Life. We ask, God, that your will be done in, in every person here. God, we all have needs. We all have desires. We all have wants. But I pray that first and foremost, your name is lifted up in every one of our lives, that your name is glorified in our lives. Help us not just pray that way, but help us to live that way. Father, we honor you, we thank you, we glorify you. Thank you for your word. And I ask you tonight, as I always do, that you take this pitiful excuse of ex trying to explain these incredible words. But God, you do what you do, Holy Spirit, and you drive it home. You do something, you just take that word and you make it a part of who we are. That's only something you can do. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 1030 a.m., in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.